please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Golds for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today's podcast features stories from Grave Tales, scenic rim and surrounds Queensland, the Fassifern giantess and her husband, Augusta and Heinrich Rewalt. It was the age of the touring freak shows where the public paid good money to see abnormalities on display. One participant, the Boona giantess, was promoted by her husband for years on end and you could view Augusta Rewald on display for a shilling. Oh, weren't they weird times, these freak show times? So, you know, we're talking the 19th century and even the early 20th century. Oh, and I think some went a bit longer than that well, as well. Funny you should say that because it was 1970s was when they were actually banned. Really? Can you believe that? Yeah, I can. Can you? Yeah, because mm. human curiosity is a weird thing. Yeah, I think they were very different freak shows by the 1970s. So I think they were more like, you know, see the bearded man and the mermaid and, you know, like not the abnormalities of the early freak shows, which were quite tragic. And so is that what most of these people who were put on display were, people who who had some deformity or mental or physical yeah. difference? Yeah, it was. A, I guess it was a sad time and it was a complex time. Like there were people who had deformities who would have spent their lives in institutions or asylums, yep. but by the nature of being toured, they, I guess, had some independence, they had an income, they had their own caravan or room, and they had complex relationships often with their management. So what was the nature of the arrangement with managers generally? I mean, do these people do it because they wanted to or because it's all they could do? Yeah, well, it depends. Some were sold into them by their families. And don't forget, this is an era when there was no welfare. And I mean, in many countries, there still is no welfare. So if you had an abnormality and your family disowned you or sold you, which was often the case, you know, you had no choice but to go to do this because how would you ever keep yourself? How would you ever live? But having said that, as I mentioned earlier, there were very complex relationships. Many of them actually made a very good living from it and many became celebrities. They'd create postcards that they'd also sell when you came to visit, which was their own money to keep. Yep. And some of them were actually lauded and applauded all around Europe. And a classic example, of course, everyone listening, I'm sure, would know the name P.T. Barnum. He was the American showman, the Barnum. And Bailey. Bailey, yeah. Circuses is the yeah. first thing that comes to mind. And Well, exactly, and he made a very good living from the freak shows. And But he had discovered people and signed people up like you probably heard of General Tom Thumb. That wasn't his real name, of course. Yep. It was Charles Sherwood Stratton. And he was a young man who grew to 53 centimetres or 21 inches. So wow. he was tiny. Yeah. At most, when he was fully grown, he was 99 centimetres or three foot three, which is a, not so strange. Not but, a meat at all. Yeah, but Barnum made a lot of money from parading General Tom Thumb around. But Tom became a massive celebrity when he got married to another miniature person. I don't know if that's a politically correct term, but nevertheless, <laughs> he was sent gifts of diamonds and the Vanderbilts and Rockefellers sent gifts and President Lincoln sent a collection of gold-lacquered miniature furniture from China. So... He was lauded and applauded around the world. And there was other ones that became quite popular celebrities too, you know, a gentleman who had a deformity, a a twin that was born with him that was never separated, but uh, so he had an extra, a genuine extra limb or whatnot. And he'd wear a robe and he would go to events and he'd, you know, be applauded and then he'd show his deformity. And it was was very, very odd, very peculiar. Tell us about the Boona giantess. Well, Augusta was an interesting lady and I don't know that she wanted to tour. We don't know. I don't know whether she did or didn't, whether she was pressured into it. 
But she was not a freak. She was just a very large lady. And when we use the term freak, I mean, she had no strange abnormalities or deformities of the era. She was just big. She was just big. Whereas, you know, some of them, as I mentioned before, you know, had the very small heads or they were conjoined twins. There was lots of conjoined yeah. twins that made very good income touring around. And there was another tragic case, which I'll just tell you before I tell you about Augusta, which just going to show how the complex management relationship came into play. One sad story, and certainly not a lady who wanted to be a celebrity, I suspect, was Julia Pastrana. And she suffered from excess hair or hypertrichosis, I think it's called. And she was born completely covered in hair. There's an interesting photo which you can see online of Julia as a baby being held by parents where she's completely covered in hair. So it wouldn't have been an easy life for her, but she was sent on the circuit, so to speak. And her manager married her and said he loved her. Now, we know he didn't. He just didn't want to lose her because she was a good act and she was bought in a lot of money for his business. So he professed his love to her and married her. And then when she fell pregnant, he sold tickets to the birth to see if this child that was born would also be covered in complete hair as well. So it was very mercenary. And the child was stillborn and was completely covered in hair. And then Julia herself died about five days later. But she said later, before she died, to somebody in attendance to her that she dies knowing that she was truly loved for who she was. And, of course, that wasn't the case because then he had the bodies embalmed and he toured his daughter and wife around for years and years and years and years and still showed them. So it was mercenary, but in some respects it was really the best life some of them could have had. So it's a catch-22. But August, as I said, she had, wasn't a freak of deformity. She was just a very large lady and she was large from a child. She was normal till about five, supposedly, and then she got very big after that. So by about the age of 14, she weighed 158 kilograms or 25 stones. So that's huge. Wow. Yeah. And she worked on the farm at Buna there with her family. She had German immigrant parents and they were both normal sized. She had three brothers, all of who were very normal size, the heaviest of whom didn't exceed 76 kilograms, which is normal for a male. So she was just a very big girl and she was a hard worker. She used to work and carry enormous amounts around the farm. Now, Heinrich, let's call him Henry to make life easy for ourselves. Henry was also a child of German immigrants and his family lived in that area too and had farming properties, et cetera. So he met Augusta. Now, I don't know whether it was love. But when she was 23 and he was 24, she accepted his proposal. And, you know, within time, she would then be touring Australia-wide as a fascifern giantess. So I don't know whether... When you say the proposal, was that the proposal or was the proposal for marriage as well? Marriage, yeah, her hand in marriage. So I don't know whether it was genuine love and affection or he was a very astute businessman, thought I can make a living from this, or a bit of both. Yeah. But he, look, he's he's come out a little bit as a shady character, which I'll tell you in a minute, so I suspect the, there might have been some underlyings of uh, financial fortune there. But nevertheless, they married, and soon enough she was on tour. The Fassa Fern Giantess. Yeah. And part of her show was that she could lift two men, two full-size men that she'd select from the audience and have one under each arm. So, you know, it was quite a sight to see. But the advertising was interesting too. And we're talking 1905 here when she started touring. She was 33 at the time and she was billed as a Queensland giantess in some advertising. So, for example, the Ballarat star had her appearing there in 1905 and you could see her in rooms in Armstrong Street. (laughs) They said a natural phenomena in the person of Miss, mind you, Miss Augusta Rewald, a young lady who turns the scale at 42 stone, five and a half pounds. She's 86 inches around the waist, 90 inches around the chest, 
28 inches around the calf and 23 inches around the arm. She will be at the rooms from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day this week. And it was sort of a small amount to see her. But that's a long day, isn't it? It sure is. So, I mean, it just made me think, what is someone of that size who does a 12-hour day like What did she eat? A lot. Well, we, <laughs> well, she didn't think it was a lot. And she used to say, look, I'm not held back by my size. I'm quite able to get around and move. I'm very strong. I'm a capable worker and I can even waltz. And she'd go ahead and show you. But she'd eat a lot. Like when she was on the train to Perth, her diet was three dozen eggs for breakfast. Oh, that makes me sick just thinking about (laughs) Three dozen. (laughs) A loaf of bread, nearly a pound of butter. And she has about 10 to 12 cups of tea. Well, I'm pretty much matching her on that one. (laughs) And then dinner, which I think was lunch, dinner was eight to nine pounds of meat. Midday meal. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about pounds. Eight to pound, nine pounds of meat, if that's a lot, I suspect it is. And 10 pound of vegetables. And then her night meals, which would be tea, I guess, what they'd call tea in those days, or supper. Yeah, no tea, I think. Yeah, would run about the same. And she liked sugar cane. She said she used to love eating sugar cane. used to be the old take a piece of sugar cane to stew on. No. Anyway, yeah, so she had a fairly robust diet. Uh, But, yeah, so but she worked hard. You know, she was in those rooms uh, all the time. And she'd be on show and she'd do her trick of holding up the men and she toured like she was in Ballarat in December 1905 and then Mackay and then Perth, Geraldton, Kalgoorlie. October 1907, she was down in Tassie in Sydney, then back to Warwick in Feb 1908 and October she was in Kadena in South Australia. So she got around. Was she the heaviest Australian woman ever or the well, world's heaviest woman ever or what? So glad you asked, Christopher, <laughs> <laughs> because... Well, there was a bit of contention about that. Oh, right. You know, the advertisement said she was the empress of the giant world. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? The great organic marvel. Oh, I love that. That was the Telegraph Chambers where she appeared for 1S, so I assume that's one shilling yes. for adults, and children 6D. What's D? Six pence. Six, six pence to go yeah. and see her there. But no, and yes, well, she thought she was, but Clara Snell from the Gibsons in Victoria said she was. So they had to weigh them, and they had to weigh them at the railway station because that's pretty much the only place where there was a scale yeah. where they could weigh women of such size. Now, Clara came in at 245 kilograms, which is 38 stone, 10 pounds, right. which is phenomenal. And Augusta came in at larger, 271 kilograms, or 42 stone, 10 pounds. So right. that was 245 to 271. So Augusta was definitely heavier. Yeah. Mind you, Clara toured as well, and she toured with two siblings who were both about the same size. Like the entire family was enormous. <laughs> Shocking. So what was happening back in Boona? On the home front. Yeah. Yeah, complex relationships there as well. Augusta's parents were fortunate they had three sons, so they could continue to work the farm without Augusta, and her family carried on quite capably. And eventually they all pretty much moved out of the area. But it wasn't the same for Heinrich's family. Heinrich's father passed away in 1908 and he left his mother, a widow, with children to care for and a really severely disabled daughter, Edda, aged 27. So while he was on the road, instead of probably assisting the family, Mm. his mother was charged the year after in 1909 with failing to provide the necessities of life for her daughter. That's the the one, Edda. Yeah, Yeah. the police had come by and her neighbours had complained of smell and screaming and whatever. She was supposed to have been filthy conditioned and dirty and not fed properly and all the rest of it. And, I mean, this poor mother's running a farm as well and raising children on her own. And So she went to trial for it. An array of neighbours and witnesses came to give testimony, and this is Augusta's mother-in-law. She's off on tour. 
and Heinrich was called to the stand himself and he described himself as a showman, which is interesting because, I mean, he wasn't on show doing anything. He was managing his wife on show. Yeah. And he said in his testimony, I'm a travelling showman and a son of the defendants. My mother will be 69 years of age this month and my sister will be 28 years of age. She's never been able to speak. She can't assist herself or dress herself or feed herself. My mother's a widow trying to make a living with two other daughters at home and and keep the farm. Mm. And that every time he's visited, his daughter's been clean, the room's been clean, she's been properly closed. A number of other witnesses came out and said the same thing. And basically the case was dismissed and the charges dropped, but the young girl, Ida, died two years later. So it must have been a terrible time, but he didn't stay and assist. He continued to go on the road. So I felt very sad for his poor mother, but, yeah, and I don't know whether he sent money home or not. But as I mentioned to you at the start of this podcast, I think Heinrich was a bit of a shifty character at the best of times. He was once charged with beating a man to death, a man by the name of Smith, and he was found not guilty. And then in another court appearance for something else he was doing, a comment was made by the prosecutor that wasn't he the man that was touring his wife around the country and exhibiting her as a fat woman and that he'd bought two or three farms on the profits of this venture. And he said, I've barely paid expenses on all the times I've spent touring her around. So it makes you wonder that he's done very nicely yeah. out of Augusta. But anyway, seven years after the court case with his mother, now 1916, they went to face court to have their marriage nullified, which was interesting. Okay. Now, at this time, Augusta was 44 and Heinrich was 45 and she was still touring. So even in legal proceedings, she was referred to as a boon giantess, not by her name, <laughs> which is really awful. But anyway, it was held over and in 1917, it actually came up again in court, but she was receiving a little bit of alimony under a mutual deed of separation. And that was 25 shillings a week and it was raised to 30 shillings a week. So She was probably most capable then of being independent Mm. and keeping herself and actually getting her own little place and looking after herself and getting out of the public eye if she wanted to on that money. Anyway, it was returned to court and he decided to drop it and just agreed to enter into a deed of separation. Augusta was 45 then. And I think that was largely because I think he had political aspirations. I didn't think it, it would bode well for him in 1917 to have a divorce yeah. because, you know, it was quite unacceptable. So what happened to these people in the long run? What happened to the Rewalds? Yeah, uh, poor old Augusta. And, yeah. Well, she was 45 when they separated and she'd only lived another four years. She moved to Gympie and there she got sepsis or septicemia, yep. a blood poisoning, yep. yeah, and she died in Gympie hospital and she's buried in Gibby Cemetery in the Church of England section, a private section there. So it wasn't a, a long or happy life. She was 49 when she died. And Heinrich died in strange circumstances. He actually, while they were separated, had another lover and had a child and married this woman once Augusta died. But he was found dead in the car park of a hotel with no strange or suspicious circumstances. A guest had seen him there the night before but didn't realise he'd passed away, thought he was just having a sleep or getting out of the cold or whatever, but he was 73 at the time of his death. As for the other giantesses mentioned in our story, Clara Snell, who competed as the giantess of the world, (laughs) she died young too. She died aged 40 in 1914 in Melbourne. And her siblings, Anna, was 36 stone and Thomas 33 stone. So Anna, 228 kilograms and Thomas 209 kilograms that toured with her. So it was a very interesting family, that one. So what was the beginning of the decline for the freak shows, if I could call them that? Yeah, it was actually about 1920 or in the 1920s when they started to decline. And for a number of reasons, we got a bit more sophisticated in our entertainment. We had the cinemas then and amusement parks and, of course, radio. Came along. So that came along. Then there was things like the Depression and wars, and you had to think where you were going to spend your money. And going and spending money to see a freak show didn't really come up on high on the list of where you'd lose your dollars. 
The other thing too is that as we became a bit more of a compassionate society, we did not want to see that sort of thing. And medical science improved. So some of those cases were fixed, cured, healed. Didn't happen anymore. Yeah, thank God for that. But by 1970, early 1970s, the freak shows were banned. What, legally banned? Ban- legally banned, yeah. Okay. So um, as I said, the ones that sort of came after or around that time anyway were fairly fan- fantasy-type things yeah, like, yeah. you know, the mermaid and that sort of stuff. Which kind of evolved, I suppose, into the superheroes. Yeah. Uh, were a kind that's of extension of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to see a mermaid. That would have been great. <laughs> and the bearded woman and all that. But anyway, as we mentioned, you can pay your respects to Augusta in the Gympie Cemetery and... The only people that remain in scenic rim cemeteries are Augusta's parents-in-law, Albert and Ferdinand, and they're in Teviotville Lutheran Cemetery, which is about 2.5 kilometres from the Calber Town Centre, and their grave is just adjacent to the electrical switch station there if you want to go and pay your respects. Strange times indeed. They were. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the Follow Us button. If you would like to support our work, please buy a book at gravetales.com.au for yourself, a friend, a relative or a special occasion. Easter, Christmas, birthdays, bar mitzvahs. <laughs> You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook. Music by Kai Engels. Bad jokes by Helen Goss. Thank you. Check out our episodes on our Grave Tales YouTube channel or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website where we share this day in history from the grave. <laughs>